late in grade school, uh, in my later grade school years, my mom's cousin played college football for the University of Texas, the Texas Longhorns. And he was the long snapper for the team. He hiked the ball on field goals and punts. And whenever Texas was playing nearby us here in St. Louis, we would, we would always try to go and see him. We went to Oklahoma State a couple times, went to Arkansas, went to a game at Mizzou. Uh, but the most incredible of those games I went to was when Texas played at Ohio State. I'm sorry, the Ohio State University. Uh, it's one of the largest stadiums in the country. Over 100,000 people there, and it was a huge, huge game. Prime time, number two versus number four in the country. College game day was there. It was absolutely massive. And I was in enemy territory wearing my burnt orange. There were you know, over 100,000 people, and we were this little sliver of an away section that was rooting for Texas. We were in enemy territory. I never it wasn't outright hostile. I never feared for my safety or anything like that, but there was a lot of trash talking going back and forth. It was a very intimidating atmosphere to be sure, but I absolutely loved it. Our whole family did. We loved it. We, we probably cheered louder at that game precisely because we were in enemy territory. It was a little more intimidating. It made us even more devout in our fandom, a little bit stronger and more feverish because it was enemy territory. We probably were way more feverish there than we were at any Cardinals or Blues game. It was because we were in enemy territory and we were outnumbered a lot that we cheered even louder. And I thought about that idea of being in the middle of enemy territory or, or a hostile crowd with relation to our second reading today from St. Paul's letter to Timothy, where St. Paul exhorts us to preach the message, whether it is in season or out of season, whether it is convenience or inconvenience. It can be a very difficult task at times. It can feel like you're the only away fan at a sporting event and everyone is cheering against you. But that is our calling, brothers and sisters. True disciples, preach the message no matter how hostile the audience might be, no matter the atmosphere in which we might preach it. This has been true from the earliest days of the church even all the way to today, where the church has routinely been in constant conflict with the values of the world, that they've often been at odds with what the church believes and what the church teaches. You can go back to the very earliest days of the church and the Roman Empire, where Christianity was sort of born into, you could say. There were many pagan practices all throughout the empire, and the church could not, and thankfully did not, capitulate to the world and give in and change her message to sort of go along with what everyone else was doing. The church can be intimidated at times by what's going on around, and you got a choice. You can either give in or you can dig in and remain firm. And thankfully, again, the church did not capitulate back then. You know, it's not always convenient to be Catholic, brothers and sisters. It's not always in season to remain steadfast in the truth. And it's not always in vogue to uphold the words of Christ and the power of sacred tradition. Again, it can sometimes feel like you're the only away fan at a sporting event. And many want the church to capitulate to the world, to give in, to go along with the values and the norms of society rather than 
sticking out and being against the grain. You know, in particular, in our day and age, I, I've seen it played out uh, very recently in a, in a gathering taking place in Rome called the Synod on the Amazon. If you've been watching the news, you might have heard it and thought, what in the heck is going on over in Rome? I've probably had about a dozen people ask me that in the last couple of weeks or so. And as I tell people, there are many real and pressing realities and needs faced by the people in the Amazon region, in Brazil and other, and other parts of South America that should not be overlooked. But, however, I tell people that that gathering has unfortunately been taken over by those who want to change church teaching, church morality, and, and church practice. It's a gathering that's comprised of many people who want to capitulate to the world, to change our beliefs and what we do in order to blend in, to look like everyone else, to not fight that good fight. For example, many of them think it's no longer in season to have a male celibate priesthood as if being in season was the reason why the church has it in the first place. I think it's part of a larger problem, though, in our church where many people in positions of authority take the convenience an easy approach. They watered down the church's teachings and Christ's message so that we're more in line with society around us. Again, it can be an intimidating time to be a Catholic. There's no doubt about that. But their solution is to capitulate to the world. Many times that means creating our own doctrines rather than remaining faithful to what we were taught and heard in the words of St. Paul. And when we've seen this played out in different parts of the world, the consequences have been absolutely horrific. In Western Europe, where this movement has sort of originated and finds most of its supporters, mass attendance hovers at around 5 to 10%. That's an abysmal number, brothers and sisters. I have a priest friend of a friend who works in Germany. He was a very good and holy man. Germany is really the epicenter of all of this. He told my friend that he hears confessions maybe a couple of times a year. A couple times a year. I had about four or five different people ask me for confession this week, let alone just a couple of times a year. It's ironic that those who desire to capitulate to the world and want us to join them well, their churches are empty. They have emptied out their churches. Capitulation only leads to ruin. By contrast, brothers and sisters, a countercultural witness leads to great success and flourishing of our faith. Because in places in the world where the gospel is taught in its fullness, the church is doing much better. Look at Africa and many parts of our own country here in the U.S. Parishes, thankfully like ours, where the gospel and the truth is taught in its fullness, it's taught in love, but without apology, those parishes are thriving. There's a reason why dioceses that promote fidelity to the church's teachings are getting more vocations. There's a reason why communities of religious women who wear the habit and embrace the faith in its fullness, like our own national Dominicans here and even the Daughters of St. Paul outside at the book stand, well, their communities are growing and thriving. As the world becomes more and more antithetical to the gospel, it can be more intimidating, sure, but we cannot give in, thinking that that will be what makes us sustainable 
in the long run because it is precisely a countercultural example that inspires, that attracts, and strengthens the faith of the entire church, both collectively and individually. And as we heard from St. Paul in our second reading today, we will have to answer to God whether we remained faithful, whether we proclaimed the gospel, even if it was inconvenient, even if it was out of season, or if we just gave in and capitulated. So let us pray that our church may never give in to the world, even if we might be in enemy territory, so to speak. Pray that we never give in and preach a gospel of convenience and comfort, but fight the good fight of faith, presenting the gospel in its fullness, in charity and love, and without apology.